you ever received a present that you just didn't really want? That you had... Someone's already opened their Father's Day gift. That you, you just wanted something else, but you got what you got. I can remember being about 12, and I can't even remember what I asked for. But I remember opening a present on my birthday, and I have been taught at this point, I knew how to open a present that you didn't like. I knew that when my grandma gave me those socks to put a smile on and say thank you. Uh, But this was from my parents, and again, I don't know what I asked for, but I know that as a 12-year-old, I did not ask for a lamp. (laughs) And I received a lamp, because you know, that's what 12-year-old boys want, is a lamp. And I tried my best, I really did, Uh, They're not here to to contradict me, but I tried my best and, uh, you know, it just, it just started, you know, leaking out, just my disappointment and uh, frustration that I didn't get exactly what I asked for. But I got a lamp and in part I got a lamp because my parents knew me better than I knew me. And again, it doesn't matter what else I asked for, I, I would not have used it as much as I used that lamp. That lamp went right next to my bed, and I used it almost every night as I would read before bed. My parents knew that I liked to read, so they gave me something to help with that. So sometimes, especially with good parents, it's not about what we want, but it's about what we need. Good parents will give us what we need, even if it's not what we want. My name is Cale Courtright, and I'm one of the ministers here. We're so glad that you're here again to worship with us. If you're one of our guests, again, we are very happy that you're here. And today we're finishing up a series called So Let It Be. This is a series on prayer. We've talked a lot about prayer, and I've received questions about prayer, so I thought I would just tell you that, give you some ideas of resources. These are some of the things that I've read in preparation uh, for this series, and so you can jot those down, or if you have any questions, you can see me after. But even if you read all of those pages, what I said at the beginning, I still hold true, is that prayer is in part mystery. You could read every page ever written, and you would know some more things about prayer. You would even know some different prayer practices, but you're not going to know about prayer until you practice prayer. Practice will be the best teacher, and so... Though we've talked about prayer, though we've encouraged you to pray in different ways or to think about prayer a little differently, until you practice prayer, you won't truly know what prayer is about. See, prayer is not a task. It's not something to check off of your to-do list, but prayer is a relationship to lean into. And prayer, as we've said almost every week, the primary purpose of prayer is not to change God, but it is so that God can form you. And so we need to go with that mindset. We've been out of the book of Luke, and we will be again today in Luke chapter 11 if you want to turn over there. But in that, we've been trying to pray like Jesus. That's what his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And when Jesus answers that question, he doesn't give them advice. He gives them a prayer to pray. And so our encouragement has been to pray the Lord's prayer because as his followers, we want to do what he said. And last week we talked about praying with persistence, knowing that God is good no matter how the situation turns about, but that we continue to go to him. We ask, we seek, and we knock. 
Even if things don't turn out like we want, we continue faithfully to go to him. So Jesus will finish up his teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11 by saying this in verse 11. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I'm not sure what Jesus is talking about here, because just yesterday my kids asked for an egg, and I gave them a scorpion. (laughs) And they loved it. Had a lot of good times, named him Fred and everything. But... Of course not. You laugh because of course not. We wouldn't do this. In fact, what Jesus says is almost laughable. Who would give your child something detrimental, like a snake or a scorpion? No one would do that. And Jesus is saying, of course not. You're not even good dads and you won't do that. How much more will your father in heaven, that is the best father, of course he won't do that. But Jesus changes it here. See, we just had this section on asking and seeking and knocking. And Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. But then Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is good, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit? Now, I read back through there, and the Holy Spirit was not there before. The Holy Spirit wasn't saying, now, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. If you seek the Holy Spirit, you will find the Holy Spirit. And when you knock on the door, the Holy Spirit will answer. That's not in there. See, the way we read that first part is that whatever we ask for, that's how it reads. But here at the end, Jesus changes it. It's like he throws in a twist and he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You wouldn't give your kids bad gifts, and neither would the Father. Instead, the Father gives you the best gift. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you didn't even know what to ask for, and he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You thought you needed something else, and he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't what you wanted, but he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is who our God is. He gives you the best gift that you can imagine. And Jesus says this in the Gospels, that one greater than I will come. You need me to go so that you can have this gift. See, for God, it wasn't enough that you would know him through the law and through the prophets. It wasn't enough that you would embark in this sacrificial system and know him that way. For God, it wasn't even enough to send his son. That's not how he wanted to know you. No, God said, I want to dwell in you. I will give you the best gift. I will give you my spirit. And Paul will say, the, very, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. This is the best gift. And this is the gift that we've been given. I don't know about you, but when I took Christ on in baptism, I had a lot of reasons I wanted to do that. Or maybe just a few reasons I wanted to do that. I was around the same time that I opened up the lamp, I started thinking about getting baptized. And my primary motive for that was that I, was, I knew I was a sinful person and I wanted to be with Jesus for eternity. And that is a great motivation. 
And that is true, that when you are baptized, you'll put your old self to death, you'll rise with Christ, and you have a place with him for all time. That was my primary and almost my only motivation, that I wanted to be with him forever. The Holy Spirit, I knew that part. I had heard that before, but we really didn't talk about it. The Holy Spirit is, is hard to understand. It's a mystery to us, and so we almost just opt to not talk about it. And so I remember when I got baptized that someone said, now you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I said, great. I'm not sure what that means, but great. And I think we all almost come to that same point today. We have this gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're not sure what it means, so we'll just opt not to talk about it. But the Holy Spirit is the best gift that our Father can give you. And thanks be to God that that is the gift He has given us. So if you have a Bible, I want to read from Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans chapter 8 for me is one of the best chapters, if not the best chapter in all the Bible. Paul wrote a lot of chapters, but it's his best chapter. And if you don't believe me, just go home today and read all of it. Read it start to finish. And it just, it is his masterpiece. It is the gospel, if you ask me. And in it, he will talk about living by the Spirit. Now, he wants to give you an example of what the Spirit can do for you. And so some versions of your Bible say that even in your weakness, the Spirit will help you. And what he's going to talk about is he's going to talk about how the Spirit helps you in prayer. And so he's not specifically talking about prayer. He's talking about the Spirit. But his example, again, is prayer. So this is what it says in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. In this same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And I've read Romans 8, I've read Romans a lot of times, but I remember a few years ago reading back through it and getting to this passage and saying, wait, what did Paul say? And going back and reading it again. That the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. When we don't know what we ought to say, the Spirit will speak in wordless groans on our behalf. He'll go on to say that the Spirit who knows our hearts intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We have this weakness and we cannot do it because we are humans. We are sinful. We are fallible. And so God himself says, I'm going to give you the gift that you didn't ask for. The gift that you didn't want, I'm going to give you my spirit. And when you don't even know what to pray, when you don't have the words because you are a weak human being, I will step in on your behalf and I will give you words to say. How freeing is this, church? How many times have you experienced going to God in prayer and you didn't have the words? Wanting to be... You know, in your mind, a good Christian. And a good Christian prays, but you go to pray and you didn't have the words. You didn't know what to say. Maybe on this stage or one like it, you've heard someone pray. And you've thought, if, if only I could pray like that person. If only I could be like them. Then I would be, I would, will have arrived. I'll be a good Christian. And you have this guilt that you don't pray like someone else you've witnessed praying. Or maybe you've experienced this before. That you say, I'm going to pray before bed. But you fell asleep. And you wake up in the morning and you just and you feel guilty because that's not what God called us to. But here, what Paul says is, 
The Spirit will help you in your weakness. You didn't know what to pray. You didn't have the words because you, you can't know the words. But I will intercede on your behalf. I will give you the words. This is freeing. Because I've searched for the words and I haven't found them. And this changes how we pray and this changes how we think about prayer. Because it's no longer contingent on the words that we can come up with. And so this leads us to many other ways to pray or to think about prayer. In this series, we've spoken almost consistently about one type of prayer. That's intercessory prayer. And that's when we ask God to intercede on something. A loved one, someone we care about is dealing with an illness. And we're asking God to intercede. God, I don't care what the doctors say. I want you to intercede with your mighty hand to change this. Or maybe it's we're praying for rain in the midst of a drought. God, I don't care what the meteorologist says. I want you to intercede here. And this is a good way to pray. In fact, this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, he says... Pray, give us today our daily bread. doesn't matter what the plan is. God, I want you to give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's, that's interceding. We want God to intercede. We should pray in this way. But it's not the only way to pray. You might also pray a prayer of adoration We heard that this morning during communion. God, you are a good God. You are the creator of heavens and earth. We pray prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God for the things that he's given us. But almost consistently, we pray prayers of interceding. We ask for God to pray in this way. But it's not the only way to pray. At just the right time for me, God put me in a class at Abilene Christian. I was a new minister, I was a youth minister, and um, maybe I didn't know it at the time, but I did not know what I was doing. And, and there was this weakness that I had. And I had, was put in this role as the youth minister, as the one to try to lead uh, teens spiritually, lead them alongside their parents to a place of faith. And that, there's a heavy burden that comes with that. And it was just at that time that my prayer life seemed dry. And it seemed that I would go to God with the only way that I knew how to pray. And, though, and I had faith that he was there. I had faith that he would hear me. But I didn't feel that. I felt like I was praying alone. Like there was this absence. There's a lot of guilt with that. Because again, I was a minister. I was, if, I, if I don't know how to pray, how can I teach others to pray? How could I teach teens to pray? And by the grace of God, at just the right time, I was in this class called Christian Spiritual Formation that I was taught there are other ways to pray. It's like my eyes were wide open. It was like a whole new world. There's other ways to pray. It's like I could breathe deeply again. I was free again. Because I had experienced this feeling that God wasn't hearing me. That my prayer life was in some way empty. And I can remember one of the ways I was taught to pray was, when you don't have words... Pray Jesus' words. Pray the Lord's prayer. It's in part why we've done that as a church during this series. Because there are times that you don't have words. We can use his words, but we can also lean into the spirit that gives us words when we don't know what we ought to pray. And so we often pray in this one way, but there are other ways to pray. 
And Luke chapter 11 is our teaching on prayer. But right before that is another story. And I think it informs our prayer, even though it doesn't talk specifically about it. This is how it reads in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. So I, I get where Martha is coming from. When I have people coming over, we're throwing a big thing. It's like in my mind, just this list just forms, right? We've got to straighten this up. We've got to take the trash out. We have three boys at our house, so we have to light the candles. We have to be ready. <laughs> and so I get where she's coming from. In my mind, Martha doesn't deserve a lesson. She deserves applause, okay? And here she says, can I get some help? And Jesus wants her to reprioritize the things in her life. He said, there is nothing better than sitting at my feet. Mary is doing the best thing. She's sitting with the Savior. But far too often, we opt for doing rather than being with Jesus. See, for many of us, that is our default spirituality, is to do and then to do some more. We think that that's what it means to have faith. More Bible study, more service, more worship. And don't mishear me, those things are good, but that is not the culmination of what it means to have faith. So you cannot just act your way into a relationship with God. It is a way of being. Just like any relationship you would want to have, Activities are good, but at a certain point, you need to just be with the person. And nothing beats sitting with the Savior. And so we, as people, we opt for this doing way of faith. And especially so when it comes to prayer. We think that what it means to have a prayer life is to say more words and more and more words. And if we don't have the right words, that's where our guilt comes from. That is a Martha way of doing things. And I think we do that because it gives us some semblance of control. It gives us some semblance of power in this. That if, if faith is just the things I do, then I can control that. I can do more things. I can be a better Christian. But what grace is all about is that you can't just do your way into this relationship Jesus Christ has said, I want to be in relationship with you no matter where you are or what you've done or have not done. And so we have to embrace that. We have to sit at his feet. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't do these things. But it also leads us to understand that prayer is not just a one-way street. It's a two-way street. It's not just about our words, but it's about our listening. Or as Soren Kierkegaard said, a man prayed... And at first he thought that prayer was talking, but he became more and more quiet until in the end realized that prayer is listening. So I don't know 
how many times you sit and you pray and you say, this is going to be a time of listening. Because again, when I go to prayer, I often think about the words that I will say. And so in this series, we've talked about praying the Lord's Prayer as he taught us. We talked about praying with persistence, asking, seeking, knocking, asking God to intercede in the ways that we need him to. Last week, we even talked briefly about journaling your prayer so that we could better see with time how God was always there, how we could see his timing. But today, I want to introduce you maybe to a new form of prayer called contemplative prayer. This is the Mary form of prayer, of sitting and being with Jesus. See, prayer isn't just about using more and more words, but it's about listening. And listening is hard, especially for us in this day and age. As Richard Foster once said, we now have the dubious distinction of being able to communicate more and say less than in any generation in history. Contemplative prayer is the one discipline that will help us break our addiction to words. Because again, praying isn't just being like Martha. It isn't just an act of doing, but it's a way of being. So contemplative prayer begins with a simple intention to be present to our loving God. And trusting that God's indwelling Holy Spirit will do the work of prayer and do the work of transformation from the inside out. And so today I want to give you four ideas about how we practice this. And it starts with silence and solitude. In our day and age, if you are not going to practice silence and solitude, it will be too noisy for you to do just about anything else. And so if we're going to practice prayer in a healthy form, we have to be able to first quiet the noise around us and we have to be able to get alone with God. This is true for any relationship, but if you can't practice these two things, you're not going to be able to go deep in any relationship. You want to go deep with your spouse or your kids or a good friend? Well, you need to go be alone and you need to be in the quiet. It's not the same as when your phone's in your hand or when the TV's on the screen. We need to get in a moment of silence and solitude. And for us, in this day and age, that's going to be countercultural. Not being available on a moment's notice is countercultural. But that's what we need to do. In fact, all of us sometimes have good intentions. And we say, well, I'll just keep my phone in my pocket, and I'll be able to just give this person in front of me my full attention. But for a lot of us, that's not going to be enough. You can flip it on airplane mode, and you can try to with hold the temptation to flip it off and see what's going on. But if you're like me, you're going to need to put it in another room. That if you're going to practice silence and solitude, you're going to need to get away. Because while you may be in your home alone, as long as that is on your person, you are not going to be able to practice silence and solitude. So the first thing we do is we try to get away and quiet the noise around us so that we can be with God. At the beginning of Luke chapter 11, it says that his apostles went to him while he was in a certain place. Now, they they had probably been traveling. I'm saying this was where Jesus always prayed. But Luke does tell us that he was in a certain place. Now, our brains are wired uh, for the places that we go. So if you sit down in the chair that you always watch TV in, when you go there, your brain's ready for you to be entertained. 
If you go to your kitchen table and you sit down and you're not, it's not a mealtime, you're going to think that you're hungry because that's where you eat. And so my advice to you is to find a place that you pray, a certain place that you are going to often, whether it's in your home or, or somewhere else, that this is your place of prayer. I like to have two chairs because while God is always with us, while he indwells in us, I like to have a place that I imagine this place is for God. I'm in my certain place ready to pray, and I know that God will show up. So that's how we pray. We choose a certain place. And so maybe for you in your house, it's just going to be a chair that you don't use often. That when you go there now, that's your place of prayer. Or it's going to be in a room that you don't use very often. Whether you create a war room, a place where you pray, or a closet that's unused. You find a place and you go and pray. The third thing that we have to do is we have to learn to focus. Just like the noise in our world, it is a hard day and age to be a person of focus. How many times you experience talking with someone, your nose, your phone buzzes, and then you have no idea what you were talking about anymore. Your focus is gone. We have to become people who can practice the discipline that we can get to a place of focus. And so what I, what I like to do is I like to come to prayer with my palms down. For the first few minutes, trying to quiet the noise in my brain. There are things to be done, there are cares, there are concerns And symbolically, I want to drop them on the ground. They're not worthless. They're just for another time. And so we practice a time of focus. And if this isn't something that you do often, this is going to be difficult at first. If you're not a person that has prayer times like this, or if you don't meditate, uh, this is going to be challenging. But try to quiet your mind, bring it back to a place of focus. And you might need a word or a phrase that you use to try to bring you back. And maybe at the time you choose a word for God like protector or deliverer. And when your brain starts to think about the thing that you need at the grocery store, you just say protector. And you come back to this moment with your palms down, ready to focus. And after a few minutes, flip them over as a way of symbolically and physically receiving from the Lord. This is a moment of listening, a moment of letting God Fill us, pour in to us as his followers. And we sit and we listen. Now, if you're like me, you may wonder, what do I do in that moment? That'd be like our story of Mary and Martha wondering, while Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, well, now Mary, now what do you do? You sit and you be with the Savior and you listen. Now, I'm not saying anything magical is going to happen, but this is a form of prayer That has been around since the beginning of Christianity. A way of us stilling our hearts, blocking out distractions, and being with Jesus. Because while you may think you have the words to say, you do not have the words that you ought to have. That's the job of the Spirit. Mother Teresa said, praying is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depths of our heart. This is what it means to pray, to go to a time and to put our hands, to put our hearts in his hands, to put our whole self at his disposition. This is 
a merry way to pray. I'm so often concerned with what comes out of my prayer time. Did I spend long enough in it? Did I pray for everyone who needed to be prayed for? Did I say the right words? But God is not concerned with that. God is concerned with who comes out of prayer. God is concerned about your transformation. This is the role of the Spirit. He has given you this gift of the Spirit, this God that created all things, this God who came and saved you from sin and death, is in you. And so prayer is not something that we check off of our list. It's not something that we solve. It's not something that we've got figured out. But prayer is our connection to the Almighty. It's our moment that we show up to Him and allow Him to come in and transform us. And you don't have to have the words to say, because that is the role of the Spirit. And so we as His followers lean into the Spirit. As his followers, we make time and space in our busy schedules to be with him, just as you would anyone that you care about. You make time for your spouse, you make time for your kids, and so too we make time for the Savior. You don't have to have an agenda. There is nothing to do here but to be with him. This is what we all long for. This is at the end of all things, at the end of the age, our our hope is to be with him forever. And he's invited you to do that now. And so we engage with him in prayer to be with him. And that's it. Only to be with him. And so I don't know what's been holding you back. If you have not yet received the gift of the Spirit, our baptistry is ready. And there might be things in your own life holding you back. There might be obstacles that Satan is putting in your way. And we would love to pray with you about that today. Our shepherds and their wives will be around the room and we want to pray with you because we want you to receive this gift. We want to put your old self to death, rise with Christ, free from sin and death, and to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a gift ready and available for you on this very day. The same Spirit that that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will be in you. And so today as we close, I want to invite you to stand as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.